around. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing car. It's new. There was like no license plate. And I thought, wow, what a car. Man, that guy. You know, if I, well, let's see, if my kids didn't go to college and uh, if we lived in the tent, we have a tent in the garage. If we just lived in the tent, I think I might be able to scrape together the money. You know, no, this is, so I'm just like, you know, and my, no, I'm not ashamed of my car. I love my cars, 20 year old Ford. Um, when I take it out of the driveway, it's always an act of faith, you know, it's just, and so I, uh, so I am watching this car and I just thought, wow, boy, if I had that car, I don't know if I'd drive to work. I think I might be going somewhere else. So I'd smoke open road. And, and then, uh, you know, he, we were like, you're all trying to get all stuck in traffic, trying to get through. And all of a sudden I'm driving along and this guy goes, comes up. He, he actually got behind me a little bit and he guns it and he's trying to get in front of me, but just, I wasn't being mean. But I just was in his way, and, and he goes by and went. And I, in, my, in my mind, I, in my heart, I thought, well, I guess that car didn't do you too much good, did it? I was like, what? where did that come from? I went, whoa. Just like, you know, I threw a timeout on myself. And what is that? But I, I just, there's this natural, there's just this natural part of all of us. Is we, we just, we look to each side and we kind of compare ourselves with other people. And, and then we get into, there's an upward and a downward component. So I was definitely downward looking up. So it was an upward type uh, comparison because uh, our cars didn't match up. That's something we all deal with. Um, la- the series we talked about before this one was a series that was based on the idea of um, what story do we want to tell with our lives? And the, one of the taglines in that was, it's the decisions we make today that determine the stories we tell tomorrow. And so it really is, you know, those decisions really... They're huge in the story that we want to tell. And then last week, Barry spoke on comparison, and he just really shared with us kind of the, the real problems that, that ca- are caused because of this uh, tendency we have to compare ourselves to other people. And he talked about kind of a teeter-totter. He's like, you know, when you're up or down and upward, like if you're, you do a downward comparison, it's kind of like you have feelings of superiority. You can really commend yourself like, well, at least I'm not them. And, then there's the upward comparison, like I was just talking about, where you're looking up and you're like, wow, you know, they, they, they're up there and I'm down here. And then you, what you can deal with there is you're still trying to commend yourself. You're going, hey, but I ought to be up there. And then what it does is it opens up a real doorway to go down like this path of bitter envy, where you're just really envious of the people around you. So we talked to him about that last week. When we give in to a comparison mindset, what we do is, what happens is it just blows a fog over our decision making. When we give into a comparison mindset, it blows a fog over our decision making and it becomes hard to make good decisions because we just can't see all that's going on around us and what's really true. And that when we make decisions in that fog, it really impacts the story that we get to tell later. And so what I want to do right now is there's a commercial that I'd like you guys to watch. This just came out several years ago. Uh, it's one of those ones, once you hear, once you see a commercial, it just really stands out. It kind of shows what the extreme is if you just give in to a comparison mindset. So take a look at this. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car, it's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> I can barely pay my finance charges. 
Somebody help me. Need a smart way to consolidate your debt? At LendingTree.com, banks compete, and you choose the loan that's right for you. When banks compete, you win at LendingTree.com. I remember the first time I saw that, I almost fell out of my chair laughing. How did you do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs, you know. Um, somebody help me. He's driving his brand new lawnmower across his estate. You know that, it, you know, that's humorous. That's humorous. But when you give into a comparison mindset, it really does, it frames all the decisions you make. And you wind up, you wind up taking wrong paths in life. And you wind up places you didn't, you didn't, it's not really where you wanted to wind up. And the, the clip was about finances, but really, you know, the problems are in every area of life. It could be uh, work, uh, parenting, marriage, church life here. Comparison can just really, it really impacts all the different arenas of your life. And there's a thread. There's a really a thread that goes through all those things. And the, the thread is relationships. Is relationships are really what's at stake everywhere you go, whether you're at work, your family, here at the church. It's the relationships that we want to, that I want to talk about today is how do you blow away the fog so that you can actually see clearly to make good decisions and really have the relationships around you really begin to uh, be a lot better. So what I want to start off today is I want to take a look at kind of a vision of what relationships could be that's in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to take a look at Romans chapter 12, 15 through 18. And that is, uh, says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Go back to the next, first slide. It says rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's like, you know, rejoice with those who have more than you. So it's like as you see someone and they're actually, they have more than you in whatever area, really rejoice with them. And so it's, so it casts this picture of what it would look, what it looks like if you relate without comparison being in the way. And then it says weep with those who weep. And so it's kind of a, now it's kind of a downward look. And what he's saying is empathize with those who have less than you. Really empathize with those who have less than you. And then uh, he says, uh, he was talking about both the downward and upward comparison. The real problem is our pride. And he says, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Really, it kind of paints this picture of what it would look like and what it should look like if we could relate to each other without comparing with, with each other. Now, if our lives, if our lives were to really have this quality of relationships, boy, what stories could we tell? There would be some great stories that we could tell with our lives if relationships looked like that around us. But what do you do? What do you do when hard things come and comparison raises its ugly head? What do you do when that happens? Like it might be something happens and you get, and there's this, uh, there's an upward comparison component where you really feel that, man, I should be there and you, and you, and you're having a hard time with just kind of bitter envy. And the, and the feelings that produces and, and you are tempted to make decisions in light of that. Uh, maybe it's a fairness issue. Like what? This is just, this is just unfair. And so you're just kind of struggling through that. Or maybe it's anger from those. It's like, I'm just mad that it's not me or it could be fear. It could be, you could be in a situation where 
when you compare yourself to something else or to, it's like it, it brings kind of some fear that comes like, I'm not who I am supposed to be. I can't handle this. And there's a lot of things that happen when comparison raises its, its head. So have you become the kind of person? And this is the, this is the question that I want to talk about today is how do you become the kind of person who can move past comparison like we've just been talking about and really achieve the relationships that we saw? That's what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, first of all, um, you know what? This is not a mystery. There, uh, if you look, if you go to Google and you type in, why do I compare myself with others? You are going to get all kinds of hits. This is not some, this is something that's universally known. That our intensity to compare ourselves really is something that's in the way and it really does cause problems. And then you'll see a lot of advice that people give you. And almost all the advice that I saw that was on uh, Google was it really, it had you turning inward to yourself and it was kind of, it was really a com- commend yourself. Like if you're upward comparison, hey, you're really better than that. Or if it's downward comparison, well, thank goodness it's not me. And so it's, it really, it, their only card that the world really has to play is that commending yourself that Barry was talking about last week. But that's not true of the scriptures. You know, if, um, you know, how do you become the kind of person that can do that? The scriptures have real help in actually becoming that kind of person. I'd like us to take a look. The real key, the real key to change is found in Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2, which is just a few verses before the vision that we cast a minute ago. So let's take a look at that. It says, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The key to change is really to be all in with God. There's a, there's a couple of things here. There's actually more than that, but there's, you know, to be all in with God is something you really need to do. And then also to let your mind, the very way you think, be transformed uh, by taking in God's word and his view of what reality really is to where it actually begins to mark you. That really is the key. So what I want to do right now is I want to take a look at a, I want to look at a verse that really has the antidote for the poison of comparison. It really has the antidote for the poison of comparison. Let's take a look at Hebrews 13, 5 through 6. It just says, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Um, it's, it, the antidote to the, the poison of comparison is that phrase, contentment with what you have. When you're content with what you have, it frees you up from this, this poison of comparison. Now, what is, you know, what you have, what is, what does that mean? What, what's included there? Well, it's like everything. It, it's your money. Um, it's your possessions. It's your talents and abilities. It's your personality. It's the way you're wired. Uh, it's just kind of who you are. It's your spiritual gifts. It's the things that God has really wired into you to where you can really contribute to the mission that he has us all on. It's, uh, it could be your occupation. It's like all these things that kind of make up your, who you are. That's what you have and be content with what you have is really, uh, protects you from comparison. Now, 
Now, we're tempted. This verse says, let your character be free from the love of money. I believe it mentions money because we, we, uh, we're tempted to love money because money seems like that's the answer to everything, to all the problems and all the comparison. You know, if I just had a couple hundred thousand bucks, I could get me a Porsche Carrera. You know, it's just, it's like, you know, if you have money, it just kind of solves things. So we're tempted to do that, but the truth is, is that money will leave you and money will forsake you. Money's very fickle. You can't put your trust in money because money won't, it won't stay with you, won't take care of you. And it really gives you a lot of fear. So the, as you take a look at this, it says, it says that, uh, being content with you have, for he himself has said, I will not desert you nor I will forsake you. So that we confidently say, the confidence that frees us from comparison is only as strong as our belief in at least three things that are in this verse. They're only as strong as at least these three, our belief in at least these three things. And that is that God is powerful and he's in control of your life. That God is powerful and he's in control of your life. Uh, the next thing is that God will never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And then if you believe that God strongly desires to help you, if those are beliefs that are building, that you're getting stronger in and you actually believe that's true, what it does is it yields confidence and contentment with what you have and it, and it, and it inoculates you for comparison. And, you know, these beliefs only become real in the midst of your real life as you walk with God. Now, what does that look like? What does it look like to actually grow in those three key beliefs as you walk with God? I want to walk us through, I'm going to walk us through just a story from the Old Testament. You know, I, I, I used to look at these scriptures and I'd wonder, hey, why are there so many stories in the, in the Old Testament? And I, I'm convinced that, you know, there's a temptation we have to think of them as like, uh, like fairy tale stories or just kind of like the flannel graph, tell your kids the stories when they're little. But this is really, um, this, these are historical accounts. These are historical accounts of people just like us who dealt with problems that came at them just like we deal with problems. And we get to see how God worked with them, what they chose to do, and how it all turned out. It's really for our instruction. And so we get a lot of look, we get a lot of help out of that. So I want to talk about a guy who doesn't have a cool name, uh, Jehoshaphat. I mean, if if you went to school, if you went to school with an name like Jehoshaphat, it'd be like I don't know, I'd just go with a helmet on or something. I I had trouble with Paul. That's my real name, by the way. But uh, I had trouble with that one. It doesn't matter what your name is; you can have problems. But you walk in with Jehoshaphat, you're going to have an issue. So, but I want to talk about him now. Jehoshaphat he became the king of Judah. And one thing that he did, and he did it just before this story that we're going to talk about, is he, he enacted a bunch of reforms for the organization of his kingdom so that his kingdom would be in line with God's ways. He was really passionate about that. So he had just finished enacting a bunch of reforms. And then this is what happened. He, had, he had, came into a crisis of comparison. So this is Second Chronicles chapter 20. It says, now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Moonites, which I have no idea if that's how you say that, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazor Tamar, 
that is in Getty. So hit the next slide. Okay, now, this is what they're telling them. They live over there, and they, they have massed together three armies, and they are coming around the sea, and they are now in Engedi, where that yellow box is. The other yellow box is Jerusalem. Engedi is about 25 miles away. So when they said, they're in Engedi, sometimes you read the Bible and you go, they're in Engedi. What is that? I don't know where that is. But what they, what they were saying is, they're 25 miles away. This is a problem that's going to happen day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow, it's happening. And it, it, it don't look good. And so, they, so this is what, this is what Josephat takes in. It, this isn't something he can run from. This isn't something he can do something else about. It's coming. And it's two days away. They're going to be at the city. And so, what he, he has this crisis of comparison. It's an upward crisis. It's like, they're powerful and we're not. And so he's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? So what, let's take a look at the next, the very next verses. Let's see what he did. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned. Now, let that sink in. Jehoshaphat was afraid. I can understand. He was afraid. And he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. So a, a lot of people, and this is like that afternoon. So he tells them this in the morning. He sends word out, and people from a lot of cities are all coming together, and they come to Jerusalem, and he stands in the temple, the temple uh, porch, and there's this huge crowd around him, and he prays. He prays. And one thing he, one thing he prays is that... Uh, he kind of reminds God of, you know, God, these are the people that when Moses brought us into this land, they, uh, we didn't mess with them because you told us not to, and we spared them. But now they're coming against us, and that's just not fair. That's not right. And uh, he's dealing with, he's dealing with all this, and he, he, all the people are just kind of looking to him, and he's looking to God. He's praying in front of them, and they're all seeking God together. And uh, then I want you to look at the last. This is the last. This verse I'm going to show you is the last phrase that he prayed. Let's take a look at that. He says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? This isn't right. Will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do but our eyes are on you. What Jehoshaphat did is he sought God and he sought his guidance because he just didn't know what to do and didn't want to handle that. Um, so what happened right after that is the Spirit of God moved in this crowd and he, he gave a word to a prophet that was there. And this prophet stands up and he says, hey, hey, this is what God says. And everyone's like, I'd like to hear this. So he says, this is what God says. And he says, he says, he says some things like this. He says, do, do not fear this great multitude. This battle's not yours. It's mine. And then he says, tomorrow I want you to go out and meet them head on. Like, what was that? <laughs> we, we, we thought maybe we could just like, you know, get everybody ready. No, he's, he says, I want you to go meet them head on. And then he says, 
You won't need to fight in this battle. Watch what God does on your behalf. Watch what I do. And man, you can imagine, it's kind of a very emotional high. They actually got a word from God that's like, God told them, this is what you want, this is what I want you guys to do. And so they all went to bed. And then they got up next morning. Have you guys ever had like a moment when you feel like, man, there's some clarity here. I really feel like this is what God wants me to do. And then you go to bed. And then you wake up the next morning. You're like, what was that again? It's like, uh, meet them head on. I'm sorry. Was, was that what you wanted? Was it head on or was it, you know, maybe we could just like stay by the wall and like fight them when they come and throw rocks at them. And you, should, you start, you start thinking, is that really what he said? So the next morning, let's look at the next verse. It says, they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. I'm convinced that he stood up to say that for the very reason I just talked about. He stood up and he reminded everyone. He goes, guys, trust in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Trust in what we heard the prophets say, God's word. Trust in God's word in his direction and let's follow through. And so they decided that they were going to trust God and follow through and go out to the wilderness. In fact, they were in the wilderness when he said this. So he, they went out to Tekoa. So go to the next slide. So this is where Tekoa is. Now, Tekoa is about 10 miles away from Jerusalem. So this is where they've, they've now, they've come here. He had the armies that are coming up. They had been coming up from Engedi up to Tekoa. And they're like almost there. When, when Josh, when, uh, Jehoshaphat says this, they're almost there. So, so then, uh, what do you suppose? You know, they, so they come up there, they come, it says they come to the lookout of Tekoa. And as they look down, you know what they saw? They, what they expected to see was, you know, armies arrayed against, have you ever seen Lord of the Rings? That's what they expect. They expected it's, it's on. Instead, what they saw was an aftermath. They saw the aftermath of a great battle. And everyone was dead. And I bet you that's not what they were expecting. So they come over there and they look. And what had happened, God had really just, he had confused these guys and he'd messed with them. And two of the armies bound together and they destroyed the other one army. And then they got ticked at each other and they destroyed each other. And when they got there, it was just like, it was just the end. It was like the last scene, one of those last scenes of Braveheart. You're looking, hey, they're just, it's over. You know, it's just over. And so then let's see what happened. Go to the next, go to the next, uh, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. These guys, they thought, the, the, these three armies, they thought that they were going over to conquer Jerusalem. But actually what they were doing is just carrying their stuff a lot closer. <laughs> you know, it's, um, so, you know, it's like, so God, uh, you know, God, God, God is in control of what's happening in our circumstances of our life. And he was in Jehoshaphat's life. And what looked like it was going to be a horrendous battle that they could have no chance in. Actually, God would just have them bring it all a little closer a lot closer, and they took three days. God was bringing them provision and resources, and he was actually taking care of them. 
But it just looked scary the way it was coming. Now, let's look at the next. So this is another line about how it, what the outcomes were. It says, and the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands. And when they, when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel, so the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God, for his God gave him rest on all sides. Another thing that God was doing in this whole thing is he was sending a message to anybody that would mess with Jehoshaphat is don't mess with Jehoshaphat. He's with me. And I imagine that Jehoshaphat felt a little bit emboldened in the way he handled his life after this. I mean, he had had God really work. He'd seen outcomes come and had really, uh, really made a difference. God had, he was bringing him provision. He's also given him peace on all sides of his kingdom. That's what God was doing. But, um, he just, he just can't see the outcomes until you walk through, uh, what you're doing. And if he had given in, if he had given in to that upward comparison and in his fear made a bunch of crazy decisions, what he would have done is blocked what God had intended for him. And so by not giving in to the, the comparison and by just, uh, by following what God, in fact, what he did is he sought God. What he did when he got into that crisis, he sought God and his guidance. And then he trusted God and he followed through with what God said to do. And then he saw how the, how it turned out. Now, God was showing him at least three things. He was showing him that he's powerful and that he's in control of Jehoshaphat's circumstances. And he was showing him that he was not going to leave him or forsake him. And he showed him that he had a strong desire to help him. And that became very real to Jehoshaphat. And so it's interesting that the outcomes of what happened had nothing to do with the comparison. The outcomes only had to do with God, the character of God and the power of God. And that'd be, that's the same in our lives, is, is the outcomes of what we're facing are not bound up in the comparison with us and the people around us and situations around us. The, what, what matters the most in the outcomes of our lives is the character and the power of God and that he really does love you and cares for you and, he's, and he will not leave you and forsake you. So now if you... As you do that, it really does, it, it, as you begin to do that, it, it, uh, it really does create a lot better relationships around you as you don't make decisions in that, in that way, uh, where you're like in, under fear, but you're in, caught up in comparison. So what I want to do right now is I, as I, as I'm coming kind of to the close of the talk, I wanted to show you guys a movie clip. And it's, you know, usually I do movie clips that are more like, Manly movies, you know, there's usually guys screaming freedom or something somewhere in there. But, uh, I'm actually, this is actually, uh, it's a chick flick. And, uh, I'll tell you, hopefully I don't have to turn in my man card at the end of this or anything. But, but uh, this is, uh, this is, this is a movie, it's called Stepmom. Quite frankly, probably one of the saddest movies I've ever watched. And I got sad in Braveheart, you know, but anyway, that's a, but, but, uh, but it was, it's just a, it's, a, it's a sad movie. And the movie really is, it's all about what we're talking about. It's about a stepmom and the, and the real mom and the comparison game that they keep going through and the, the havoc that they wreak with each other. And then you find out because you have to cry in a chick flick. So 
the mom, the, the mom is actually dying of cancer. So it's, it just, the, the, it just gets heavy. And so they're in this moment. I want you to watch this clip. They're act, they're having uh, lunch with each other and they're talking about what we're talking about. And they're coming to the place where they're deciding what they're going to do about this comparison thing that they've been doing. So let's take a look at this clip. I never wanted to be a mom. Well, sharing it with you is one thing. Carrying it alone the rest of my life. Always being compared to you. You're perfect. (laughs) They worship you. I just don't want to be looking over my shoulder every day for 20 years. Knowing that someone else would have done it right, done it better, the way that I can't. What do I have that you don't? Your Mother Earth incarnate. Your hip and fresh. You ride with Anne. You'll learn. You know every story, every wound, every memory. Their whole life's happiness is wrapped up in you. Every single moment. Don't you get it? (laughs) Look down the road to her wedding. I'm in a room alone with her, fitting her veil, fluffing her dress, telling her no woman has ever looked that beautiful. that she'll be thinking I wish my mom was here and mine is she won't That's uh, that's that's a moving scene, and uh, I think it's humid in here. My eyes are sweating. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, guys, um, that's a great picture 
of Romans 15 through 18. That's a picture of what it could look like if we don't give in to the comparison and we relate well with each other. Not returning evil for evil, rejoicing and weeping and, and just being in life together. Now, when they decided, when they moved past the comparison, ideas began to open up on how they could really together help their daughter. The ideas began to open up. Before in the movie, what you see is that because they were in this comparison thing, they were tearing their daughter apart. She was just ripped up. And it was it was creating a relational havoc. Now, the, here's another reality. That was two actresses. And they were pretending to be the kind of people that could move past comparison. And so what we how do you actually become? How do you really become the kind of person who can move past comparison and relate well? And it's Hebrews thirteen, five and six. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor I'll ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What we want to do is you, when you get into a crisis, you'd think you seek God and his guidance for what, through his word, uh, and then you trust God and you follow through with what he said he wants done. And then you watch and see how it turns out. And you might, you might think, well, you know, Jeep, I've been looking at my outcomes and I'm just, I'm not seeing everything you're, you're talking about. And what I would say is, and I would say the same thing to myself is when you feel that way, Go back to one and two and just take a look there and see if there's something. You know, maybe in seeking God and his guidance, is there is there something you really need to work on there? Maybe there, maybe you haven't done that in this situation yet. Go back and look at trusting God and following through. In fact, following through with what God says is what trusting God looks like. You, you really can't trust God unless you are following through with what he says. Look there. And then, uh, and then what you'll find over time is as the outcomes come in, you'll become more and more convinced that Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 is really true. And what it does is when you become convinced of that, you begin to be able to move past comparison because you're trusting in God and not something you can do. So with that, I just, I'd just i like to ask the band to go ahead and uh, come up and I'll move us into uh, just some next steps that you could take. Um, one, you know, for you, maybe as you're hearing this talk today, maybe for you, just the next step with you would be to seek God and his guidance in the midst of your current crisis. Like there's something you're facing right now. Just maybe for you just to seek God and his guidance in that, in the middle of that. Maybe for you, maybe you've gotten some guidance from God and you kind of have some ideas of what you should do. Maybe for you, the next step is just to trust God and to uh, really follow through with what he wants done in the current crisis you're facing. And then, you know, maybe you just want to memorize Second Chronicles um, chapter 20, verse 12. Uh, just because it, it voices, you know, he says, uh, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Um, for we are powerless before this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Maybe that's just like something you want to warp and wolf into your life so that you think that way. And maybe there's something else that God's really put on your heart. Jot that in and mark that. With that, let me pray for us, and we'll give, we'll go into worship. Dear God, I just uh, just very grateful to you that what you uh, 
Your, your kindness and goodness to us, Father, is real. And that you strongly desire for us to have stories that we could tell that would show people really how good you are. And God, I just pray today that you'd really speak to one of each of us and uh, that we would really put into practice something that you shared with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.